Welcome to CCC Talks, empowering IT and business professionals in their digital transformation journey. Find all the latest tips, tricks, and strategies at our blog and resource center at cloudcredential.org. And now our host, CCC Managing Director, Mark O'Loughlin. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of CCC Talks with Mark O'Loughlin, Cloud Credential Council. Today, we're joined by Kevin Christel, Chief Digital Officer at nydla.org and Chief Digital Evangelist and Co-Founder at Pervia Health. Well, Evan, thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. Thanks for having me. I wish I were uh, actually in Dublin right now enjoying a nice pint. <laughs> well, I'm afraid there's nobody in Dublin enjoying anything like that at the moment. Well, uh, at home, perhaps. A nice Guinness at home. <laughs> that's, that's I, I, I take sentiment and absolutely yes, a good place. Good place here. Now, Evan, uh, thanks for being with us. Now, you describe yourself as um, a B2B thought leader and a top technology influencer, you know, helping B2B tech brands achieve a high level of visibility and scale across their social media landscape. You also have uh, chief digital roles, namely at nydla.org and Vera Health, in addition to co-founding Vera Health. Listen, a lot of background there. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself, please. Yeah, uh, my background is 30 years uh, as a kind of uh, practitioner in the enterprise tech world, um, actually mostly in telecom and wireless, where I worked with lots of companies from Semico to systems and application developers in enterprise communications. And uh, the last 10 years or so of which I've been obsessed with social media and digital. So I've been personally and professionally out there as an industry observer, uh, a kind of a curator, and uh, highly engaged on these social media channels, which we're all glued to right now. So happy to share my uh, two cents with you today. Great. We'll probably cover a little bit about what that means in today's um, situation that we find ourselves. Um, lots of background there. I actually want to start talking to you a little bit about multi-cloud. I've seen you talk before about multi-cloud depths. And I wanted to ask a question for our listeners. From your experience and your viewpoint, what is multi-cloud? Well, multi-cloud is leveraging, uh, you know, best of breed. It's about taking the opportunity to uh, to build on, uh, you know, multiple cloud platforms. I mean, we, we hear a lot about Amazon and AWS and Azure, but there's actually, you know, a, a ton of, of fascinating platforms. There's a ton of niche developer platforms and tools and the notion is for diversity and redundancy and uh, scalability globally, the idea of building across those multiple clouds and not being sort of uh, locked into one particular vendor, which is pretty, you know, from an enterprise perspective, uh, very attractive. Yes. Um, and I think with that in mind, you know, we do find ourselves in precarious times at the moment global crisis, um, I think for the organizations that are getting through this or still operating or whatever, I think a multi-cloud strategy probably suits uh, or gives some flexibility or gives some things, you know, more platforms to think about how they can do things differently. I think today's world is now thinking about how do we do things a little bit differently and maybe multi-cloud would be a good approach, but it is, Adopting and architecting and 
do things with multiplayer. Is that easy? Is it difficult, or is it, well, that's just the nature of if you want to use these tools, you have to go learn them. It's just a different type of architecture. Yeah, well, in enterprise tech, nothing is easy, as as you know. Uh, and indeed, there there's there's there are benefits to being all in on a platform, in terms of scale, in terms of price, uh, leverage, and in terms of training and enablement. But there can be also benefits in multi-cloud. Um, you know, particularly if you look globally. You know, there are regions of the world, uh, if you're a global multinational or an app developer who's rolling out globally, where certain clouds have certain advantages and appeal. There's availability limitations. I mean, they're not all created uh, equally in every region in the world. I'm not sure where Dublin or Ireland, for example, what your local, you know, best of breed providers are. And there's benefits in having your vendors sort of compete for your business. And uh, cloud is not inexpensive, unlike the perception uh, out there. You, you know, it, does, it is quite costly to, to scale up cloud resources. And having, you know, uh, your vendors compete for your business is a good thing. Also for disaster recovery. I mean, cloud regions do go down. Um, and this is uh, will increasingly be a challenge. And so having some diversity built into your architecture, your network can, can be a value as well. Yeah, I like that point. Um, a lot of people in the earlier days of cloud misunderstood that they thought cloud never went down, but they certainly do. And I think um, you have to architect, again, I've seen a lot of experience where you're almost architecting your cloud or multi-cloud strategy and approach. Somehow based on contracts, first of all, um, and then the technology, second almost, because sometimes in the contracts, you know, we can say, well, if you're in this zone or this region, you can experience an outage, and you likely will, but it won't impact against the cloud providers, SLAs, because you have to architect in redundancy, geo redundancy, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, that costs you more money. Lots of companies didn't do that and found out later on that the outage were caused by their lack of or inability to understand how to architect based on something new like these contract constraints rather than the technology constraints. Uh, have you seen any of that in Yeah, particularly the area where I'm quite active is the real-time communication space. You know, when you talk about what we're doing now with latency and jitter and network performance, I mean, not all clouds are created equally. And there are certain regions or certain providers that do uh, work especially well, you know, in certain with certain conditions or maybe have some advantages when it comes to certain features and functionality. And so, you know, as a provider, you have to do your due diligence. I was interested to see that uh, Zoom, we're, we're using a Zoom video call, chose Oracle as their cloud provider, yeah. probably not the least of which was a bit of a snub to their com competition at Microsoft and, and Amazon. But I'm sure they got, you, you, you know, some particular advantages uh, through working with Oracle. So there are lots of reasons why you want to choose, you know, a provider based on your requirements. And many times, you know, you may find certain capabilities are, you know, across two or three or more cloud providers. Yeah, that was a very interesting week this week, uh, Zoom and Oracle and reasons for that. But equally, you could say Zoom is using multi-cloud if they're using, I don't know what they're doing, but if they're using, say, Office 365 for email, that's a SaaS. If they're using um, 
two-wheel drive and those other tools as well for storage. Uh, that's a multi-cloud environment that they had to use Oracle. So I think one of the misconceptions with the multi-cloud was that people didn't look at the SaaS provider as being part of this multi-cloud. When actual fact, if you're using a number of SaaS providers, you're already in a form of multi-cloud thing. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit. You mentioned earlier about multi-cloud giving you the, I guess, flexibility uh, to move between providers, not quite what you in. But the question I wanted to ask was, you know, the cloud vendors, in your experience, really allow or facilitate this level of multi-cloud. And the reason I ask that is surely they want you as much as possible in their cloud. Kind of locked in. So uh, can we really achieve multi-cloud or do we just get a bit of it that we're allowed to get from it's in cloud providers' interests that we don't switch and we don't yeah, I mean, lock-in is always uh, good. If, if you're the uh, vendor, you, you know, you want customers <laughs> yeah. locked in for uh, as long yeah. as possible. There are some innovative providers out there who are, you know, delivering a, you know, sort of window uh, into multi-cloud. So, you, you know, you have a contract with, for example, CenturyLink here in the U.S., have a multi-cloud offer or Telefonica in, in Europe, and they're essentially delivering multiple clouds through their, you know, data centers. Yeah. Equinix is another. So, you know, depending on your requirements, it may be a value to work with one of those intermediaries or, or other providers who can do, you know, the cloud switching and routing and, uh, and provisioning yes. through their networks versus working directly with the cloud provider, which, you know, is, is fine for some developers, but, not not for everyone. So it's a complex landscape. It's worth really doing your, your due diligence. Absolutely. I think there are still, there was, and there still is a gap in the market for those intermediaries. If you're not in a tier one cloud provider and some of the big players, but there is certainly an opportunity for intermediaries to, um, to you know, pull together multiple clouds and to help you use those and work between those. And, uh, so I think it's, it's an interesting space I think multi-cloud, at least before the, this crisis, was, uh, was a big thing. I think it will be uh, for years to come. I think it will be a strategy that people will look at. How do we get access to these platforms? How do we, do we make them work? And I think we might see a little more integration of these integrators, of these intermediaries. Yeah, and there, there are, look, there, there are the big three, four, five cloud vendors we all know. Uh, and 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 are are top of mind, but there are also a lot of niche cloud providers that provide a really compelling set of infrastructure services. And you know, companies like Twilio here allow you to build on their cloud very specific telephony applications. Uh, Blue Ocean and other kind of hosting providers. So it really comes down to the requirement, and uh, and also service and support. Um, and how to work with uh, that particular vendor. And you may find there are niche providers who can really offer you something. Maybe it's a you know, hosted data center. Maybe it's not really even cloud, but maybe you have a managed service of some kind. So you know, that's why the CIOs get paid the big bucks is to navigate through these uh, challenges. <laughs> I tell you, they're navigating through some choppy waters and challenges at the moment. So maybe this is a good stuff that all these tools and files and platforms are available. People are going to have to, organizations are going to have to change. 
uh, in a big way. Um, but maybe that, that's useful. Regarding you know this global situation we find ourselves in, we've seen a massive exodus of people leaving offices uh, weeks ago and now working from home. Um, do you think we could have achieved this level of remote working um, across the collaboration globally without the use of cloud tools? Could we have done this 15 years ago, uh, the way we managed to achieve it? No, definitely not. No, it's a good question, a good thought exercise. But I think, you know, really everything is kind of coming together at the right point in the right time in terms of fiber to the node, in terms of yeah. your your broadband access in, in many countries, sadly, not, not enough places, uh, you know, in terms of the capacity of these networks to provide, you know, capacity on demand. We've seen, you know, even companies like Microsoft and Google seven, 800% increases in utilization of collaboration tools. And it really is only through, you know, a cloud first, you know, kind of approach that it would have been possible. And, yeah. you know, amazing that um, these companies from Cisco to Microsoft to Google have been able to uh, scale their networks. So it's, it's a testament to the idea of the internet, but also, you know, all the, the technology that's been in play for the last couple of decades that allowed them to scale. Yeah, absolutely. I do, I do see that and I do believe it. Um, it is a big, uh, I guess, test now of broadband capability, fiber capability around the world. But uh, that's, uh, that's something they can only improve uh, on. So it looks like the technology was there to enable us to remote work. And again, in your experience, what you've seen, do you think office workers were prepared to, you know, use remote working technology? And secondly, were they, are they prepared to communicate remotely? Um, you know, instead of face-to-face -face during this period of time that we find ourselves in, do you think the people were ready for that? No, not at all. I think a lot of people, it's been quite a shock, uh, uh, obviously, psychologically, but specifically work-wise. Uh, most people don't do what I do, which is, you know, work virtually 24-7. They, yeah. you know, they have their job, they go to the pub, have a pint, and go home and leave their work behind. And I think that's frankly quite normal and uh, natural for most people. And so this new environment, I think, is taking a heavy toll. And I think most people technically aren't really well prepared to work from home. They they don't quite have the guidance and the setup that's ideal. And uh, a lot of people, including ourselves, are still struggling with, with the tools and the platforms. So it's, um, you know, it's been uh, pretty ugly in, in my experience. And uh, there's a lot of learning yet to do with adoption of best practices and tools and technology and the providers too, where a lot of them are playing catch up, uh, you know, uh, with, with their platforms, making them easier to use and, and uh, more accessible for, you know, a, a bigger audience. Yeah, absolutely. I always, I always think that the technology comes first and then the people aspect of technology comes later generally much later. I think we saw that with cloud years ago, a lot of people adopting a cloud for strategy, a lot of organizations doing that. But when we drilled into those organizations, so what's the real strategy? Why are, you, why are you using cloud? They didn't know that people didn't quite know, they just followed the, the market. Um, and then they used the training model and all that. Thank you, Dr. I'm not sure we're going to go back to the office anytime soon. I mean, 
if at all, we'll go back in stages or in phases. Uh, we certainly won't go back uh, all at once. And um, I think as we ad adapt and adopt these technologies, people will get more comfortable working from home and really not want to return to the traditional cube or open plan kind of setup for a variety of reasons. And, you know, the companies are beginning to realize that they probably could have, many of them could have worked from home in a lot more flexible way a lot sooner. So it's really going to be interesting to see how this, quote, return to work uh, will unfold. Yeah, I agree. I think it will be in stages and slow. And I think, I mean, a lot of people now realizing how much time they get back, not call in that morning commute, evening commute, probably even work a little longer to say, rather than spend two hours in traffic, I'll work an extra hour, happy to do that. Yeah, people are working really more. I mean, I think I, I saw data that people are working two to three hours more now that they're working from home. So there's now the question is work-life balance, and there's a lot of stress uh, involved in that as well. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to try to unwind and get back to that new new normal. We wait for that. I wanted to ask you, you talk a lot about IoT as well, Internet of Things. Um, what is the where, say, you were back in normal times, uh, would it have been safe to say that you know, not more companies were needing to, I guess, embrace Internet of Things and understand what they could achieve? So before all this crisis, there was companies looking at IoT. In your experience, Sam, were, was it a small number of companies and organizations globally doing something with IoT? Um, and were they finding it easy? Uh, yeah, IoT was and is still, uh, you know, one of the top phenomenons that we're seeing in the enterprise and right into the home. Um, we're seeing a mass adoption of Internet of Things enabled devices. Uh, you know, now we're stuck at home. We're even more aware of of our you know tech techno technology setups and. A lot of us are deploying, you know, Apple and Amazon and Google home style devices. So that's, that's, that's been accelerating. And in the enterprise, there's just tremendous real world returns, real value in deploying IoT. I mean, the, there's so many use cases for IoT, whether it's in the industrial setting or in, you know, fleets and, and tracking or whether it's in, uh, you know, health patient monitoring it's just very practical you know how iot is enabling businesses to transform and to digitize and and help their customers that there's just no going back it's just it's such an obvious return on investment no matter what the business or the industry that that wave is just going to continue i think uh, yeah um i would agree with this what i'm saying i talk to a lot of companies about iot and trying to figure out what, what they're doing they seem to, the majority I've come across seem to look at IoT and pose a question, what can we do with Internet of Things to make more business, make more money, do more business, whatever that is. But I always feel that's probably the wrong approach to take, or you know, right or wrong. But the approach really should be, what can we do as a business to do something different? Uh, what problems can we solve uh, with a solution like IoT. So think about 
the customer first, the challenges first, and then a technology like IoT to address that. Uh, is, is that a good way to look at it, or should you look at it from IoT perspective? Or both, maybe? Yeah, I think it's about digital transformation. You, you know, companies are, are waking up to what they can do, what the possibilities are, are and then are developing, you know, unique use cases that, uh, that help them. So, you know, companies need to get creative and uh, particularly now start thinking outside the box as there is no box around how they can use IoT to, to, to support their customers, to, you know, to find new businesses and to scale their businesses when, um, particularly when they're under, under a lot of stress. And again, I think it comes back to those practical use cases and, and it will differ from industry to in- industry, but one industry I pay a lot of attention to is is um, is telehealth and telemedicine, and there there are just so many obvious, amazing use cases for IoT. Whether it's wearable devices that that can that can do uh, monitoring and patient collect patient data, or whether it's um, you know uh, uh, video devices in the home for you know having. You know, enabling doctors to to consult with patients, not go into the surgery or the practice. So, things like that are are just um, it's the low hanging fruit, and I think companies should look at those immediate use cases. Right. Yeah, I think the thing is that there was creativity. People, high organizations, have to get creative with this. Um, that's never easy. Uh, sitting down, looking at the blank wall, and trying to figure out something. Can I ask a little bit about blockchain as well? So you cover a lot of these areas, a lot of these technologies. Um, real quick, I wanted to ask you about blockchain um, specifically was, we've had other people talk about blockchain and tell us what it is. Um, but blockchain is interesting in that it's built on providing trust and transparency. But ironically, in your experience, can blockchain be trusted? Is the question I wanted to pose. What do you think about that? Well, I mean, it's it's a bigger question. In the internet, you don't trust anyone or anything. So, I mean, it's not like there's some gold standard of trust. I think it's just blockchain for many uh, use cases is, is seems to be a really ideal platform on which to build. And uh, there don't seem to be, let's say, better alternatives. So Nothing is secure, 100% secure, but I think blockchain is being, uh, you know, tested and deployed and trialed by fire in a way that other platforms uh, won't be. So it's super exciting to see what's possible. And like in any early innovation, early stage technology, it'll be it'll adapt and and um, it'll either fail or or not on its own merits. But I'm super excited about blockchain and not just in payments and some of the crypto applications, but again in really interesting practical applications, um, you know, like health, where you need to anonymize data and, and share it across a network. So, so again, re- really exciting times. I think it is. I there's three or four technologies you spoke about. I think if we take cloud, internet of things, uh, blockchain, and maybe, we didn't mention it, but 5G, put that into the health environment, especially the situation we find today. I think there's huge potential and opportunity and creativity for coming up with a new health experience using those technologies and some physical tech. Again, changing our trip to the doctor now, so they're coming up with ways of measuring people during this crisis uh, using 
from wearables that check temperature, heart rate, all this kind of stuff, uh, linked into the doctor's environment so the doctor might be monitoring 24-7 if you're having a very bad episode. But we would have had reluctance to that in the past. And I think in this new world, whatever it evolves into, uh, that reluctance will probably uh, fall away and become the new norm. So I'm very excited about that. Evan, I have a couple of quick-fire questions. Normally towards the end, we, uh, we go to a couple of these. They're very short. Just going to throw them out there, and you can give us a answer about 30 seconds or less. Um, let's see how we get on. Question one, is cloud overhyped, do you think? No, not at all. I think it's one of those uh, technologies like the internet or a first mobile phone that is appropriately hyped. I mean, these things are transformative and are going, you know, are uh, not just changing our lives now, but will continue to, to impact uh, IT. Yeah, I love that. Appropriately hyped. I love that. <laughs> I'm going to blog about that and talk about Hugh mentioning that's really good. Is IoT IoT is exciting. I, I think the challenge is the use case. There's just so much noise in the space and, and so much more education is needed. Uh, and there's so many providers and standards and devices that it's just very confusing. So I, I would say uh, probably underhyped, but um, a lot more education is needed to, to, before it can sort of reach the potential it has. We see that too. Yeah, a lot of education there. Um, is blockchain going to change the world? I don't think blockchain will change the world, but in in certain industries like finance and and others, it will be kind of revolutionary. Uh, payments and other areas, crypto and and uh, banking, and perhaps. So, I think in those industries, it will be transform transformative. Right, final question: Now, is the current global emergency that we're facing? going to change how companies view and use these digital technologies? I think so. I, I think there's going to sadly going to be a, a series of winners and losers. You know, the winners are companies that will adopt and embrace technology as they have been and kind of, uh, and, and come to the fore. And a lot of companies who have been unable to change for a variety of reasons and, and legacies are going to uh, find it find a hard time. So it's it's uh, sadly there's going to be a big gulf between the winners and losers. I think. I think there is. Yeah, um, I think it's going to just force people to change. Hopefully, they change in the right way, the right tools. Um, let's see. Let's, let's see how, how that evolves. Um, and we're coming up to the end. Have you any final words on how digital tech uh, will change the world? About thirty seconds. Well, I, I think um, if anything, it's uh, it comes down to us as an individuals try to learn and embrace and educate ourselves uh, in, in these difficult times and take the opportunity to get out of your comfort zone and and up your game when it comes to skills because it's, we're going to be facing a very difficult period. So you're going to need every advantage uh, you can have. So thanks for inviting me, the opportunity to chat and encourage everyone to reach out and engage with me on Twitter and LinkedIn where, you know, as you can see, I'm quite active. Absolutely. You have a broad range of these technologies, this digital space. You've been in it for years. Um, some really good stuff. I think that's very important. We have to get out of our comfort zone. It's almost personally as well to improve for these new times. I think they're really, really uh, strong and wise words. 
And Evan Kersal, with that, thank you for joining us on today's CCC Talks. Thanks so much for having me. And uh, catch you soon. Thank you for joining this episode of CCC Talks. We hope you enjoyed this episode and walk away with a ton of actionable insights. If this is your first time joining us, this is us extending a personal invitation to you to join other IT and business professionals. So please subscribe on iTunes, YouTube, or Google Play. If you are struggling in any capacity in your digital transformation journey, contact us. We'd be more than happy to guide you and find you the right certification courses to help you manage the challenges modern businesses are facing. This was CCC Talks. Until next time.